Well, good morning. We are in a study in the book of Matthew. I encourage you to open your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew chapter 9, where we will be looking at verses 38 through chapter 10, verse 4. In the book of Matthew, our human author, the Apostle Matthew, uh, periodically gives us some summary statements. We saw one of those summary statements in chapter 4, verse 23, when Matthew wrote, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. It's interesting that today, as we come to chapter 9, we see that same summary statement that differs only in a few words. And I'll read it in chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. The only difference between chapter 4, verse 23, and chapter 9, verse 35, is that in chapter 4, he says, going through all Galilee, and here, in verse 35 of chapter 9, it says, going through all the cities and villages. And what we find here is a bridge statement between Matthew's record of Jesus' ministry in the region of Galilee and Jesus' ministry as it is going to be unleashed through more people than just himself. In fact, we're going to see Jesus authorize the apostles to start carrying on his ministry of preaching and of teaching and of healing. Remember, we've noted that all three of those, all three of those parts of Jesus' ministry, his preaching, his teaching, and healing, as recorded for us in the book of Matthew, all have a common purpose, a common focus. And that is to demonstrate that Jesus Christ is indeed Messiah. Messiah meaning the anointed one. That one that's promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7. That descendant of David who will sit on David's throne forever and ever over a kingdom of righteousness. Who would be known as a son of God. And so here we find Matthew recording for us this shift in Jesus' ministry to authorize his 12 followers, his disciples, his apostles, his sent out ones to go in in his name under the empowerment of his authority as the Messiah to carry on his ministry. Last week in chapter 9 verses 18 through 34, we saw Jesus give sight to those who were physically blind. But in great irony, we saw those who were spiritually blind refusing to see. This week as we had in the chapter 9 verse 35 through chapter 10 verse 4, we see Jesus answer as to how we should respond to Spiritual blindness. How should we respond to living in a world where there are men and women and boys and girls around us. Who do not recognize that Jesus is God. 
that do not know that Jesus is the God-man who took on humanity so that he would be able to die in our place, taking the penalty for our sin upon himself, and that he rose again on the third day, proving that he is God, and that through faith in him, we can have full confidence that his payment for sin has been credited to the account of our lives so that as God the Father sees us, he sees men and women and boys and girls clothed in the righteousness of Christ. How do we respond to people who do not know that wonderful truth of the person of Jesus Christ? Jesus helps answer that for us today As we come to these verses, I'm going to read them out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the text, Matthew chapter 9, starting to read in verse 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave authority over, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first Simon, who's called Peter. And Andrew, his brother. And James, the son of Zebedee. And John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. And Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. For quite a few years... Every fall, Barbara and I would go to a little self-service orchard that was just north of our place. If you'd head up to the little unincorporated village of Midway, Iowa, and then head west straight out of Midway, you'd come to this little uh, little place out in the country that has an orchard. And the owners had a little shed at the end of their drive, kind of up near their house, where you could just pull in, walk into the shed, weigh out the amount and the variety of apple that you wanted, leave some money in a jar, and go home. And we went there a lot. A few years ago, they stopped doing it. Not sure why, but they don't do it anymore, at least the last time I checked. It's interesting, though, in the fall of the year to drive by and see all those apples on the tree. And no one harvesting them. It's kind of sad. The deer, I'm sure, love it. But for those of us who are apple eaters, and for me, the best way to eat an apple is inside of a pie. For those of us who are apple eaters... Uh, it's a little bit sad to see a plentiful harvest and no one to harvest it. Well, Jesus, in these verses that we're going to look at today, 
looks out on the people of Israel and sees a plentiful harvest. Men and women and boys and girls who have actually been hurt by those who are supposed to be giving them spiritual leadership. And yet they walk in blindness. Lost. Just like you and I live in a community, in a city, in a state, in a country, in a world where there are people who are spiritually blinded all around us. How are we to respond to that reality? Well, Jesus shows us here in verses 35 through 38 of Matthew chapter 9. When he charges his disciples to pray for more workers to harvest. To not harvest apples, to harvest people. Look at Jesus' heart in verse 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. This deep, seated heart for people. Because they were distressed and dispirited. Literally, the word translated distressed here can carry the idea of harassed. And the word translated dispirited, sometimes in very concrete uh, context, is used to throw something down. And here, Jesus sees the people of Israel. And they've been harassed and they've been thrown down. In this case, not by those outside of Israel, by those within Israel, their quote-unquote spiritual leaders. It's interesting in the book of Matthew that time and time again, Matthew is demonstrating that Jesus is God. Matthew is demonstrating that Jesus is the promised Messiah of 2 Samuel 7. That Matthew is demonstrating that Jesus is God's son. And here too we see this passage built foundationed upon Old Testament truth. And I want to take us for a moment to the book of Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel chapter 34 we find God the Father's heart for Israel. And clear back in the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 34, God's heart is the same as Jesus' heart in Matthew 9. That Yahweh's heart is for the people of Israel who have been pushed down, who have been harassed by their own leadership. Here's what the verses say. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up and scattered. You have not brought back nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for a lack of shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. 
My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth. And there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field or for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep. So I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in the rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. Bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. The heart of God in Ezekiel chapter 34 is we have a God who seeks after lost and hurting sheep. And as we come to Matthew chapter 9, we have a Savior. God's one and only Son, the Messiah the anointed one, the promised one of Second Samuel 7, who also is God, saying the same thing that God says in Ezekiel 34. He looks out on the sheep and sees that they are harassed and thrown down, and he has compassion. And out of that heart of compassion, he charges us. He gives a charge to you and to me, to all of his disciples, those who follow after him, believing that he is God and who at this point in time will go to the cross and die on that cross and rise again. He has a charge for us and that charge is found in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, and here when he talks about his disciples, I think he's talking about in a broader sense than just the 12 that we see down in chapter 10, verse 1. Because of the words he uses in chapter 10, verse 1, make it appear that those 12 are a smaller subset of the disciples to which he refers here in verse 37. So this is a call to all those who are following after Jesus, believing in his person. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest. Plead with him. Go to him in prayer. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. That's the heart of Jesus. 
How are we to respond living in a culture, in a world where there are men and women and boys and girls around us who still walk in spiritual blindness? The scriptures tell us, teach us many responses. One of the things that we are to do is to pray for people who do not know Jesus, that they will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's why here at Faith Bible Church, right back in our prayer room, directly behind us, we have a mural on the wall where we encourage people to just take the pen that's on there and write down the first name of a person or people that are in your web of relationship that you are praying that they will come to saving knowledge of Jesus. And I go in there on a weekly basis. Others go in there. I like to just go and put my hand on those names and just pray for those names that they'll come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Probably the strongest passage that tells us to pray for people to come to salvation is 1 Timothy 2. And in 1 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul writes, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, all people. And then he talks, a sub, he talks about a subset of those people in verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And then he comes back to this concept of praying for all people and says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's heart. God's heart is that every man and woman and girl and boy would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because he has a heart of compassion and love for people. Will everyone know? Because in the hardness of their hearts, some people push Jesus away. But God's heart is that all will come to a saving knowledge of him. Why is it so important that people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus? Because Jesus Christ is the only way to be right with God. And Paul goes on and explains that in verse 5. He's saying because there's one God and one mediator, one bridge, if you will, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's only one bridge to God. There's only one way that a person can be right with God. And that is through placing his or her faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Believing that Jesus is God. That he came to earth and took on humanity so that he would be able to die. And as the God man. 100% God. 100% man. Went to the cross taking all of the penalty for sin upon himself and died in our place. And then rose again from the dead proving that he is God. And when a person puts their belief in Jesus Christ. Transferring the dependence of their life from their self. Thinking I can be a good enough person to earn merit with God. And puts their dependence on the person of Jesus Christ. At that point Jesus payment for sin is credited to his or her life. And the father from that point on sees only men and women 
who are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see us as sinners anymore. And Paul encourages us to pray for people in our webs of relationship and those who are not in our web of relationship that they too would come to see that Jesus is the only way to be right with God. And as important as that is, and as central as that is, the scriptures charge us even in a greater way, in more passages, to be praying for each other in this heart of compassion that Jesus has. Praying for each other that we all would enter into the heart of Jesus Christ and, 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 and be part of what God is doing in the lives of people. We saw that video clip from John North this morning. About two or three years ago, John was with us. And I've shared in capsulized form his message with us that day. But it was so pivotal. We've written it on the prayer wall out in the, in the, in the prayer room. That John gave us a three-fold way to pray. And it's really simple. Open doors. Open hearts. Open mouths. Open doors for people to have opportunity to be a light, to be a witness, to talk about Jesus Christ. Open hearts of those who hear that they would respond. Open mouths. That we would have boldness in talking about Jesus. And that's a biblical prayer. Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 through 4 talks about praying for doors to open. Colossians 4 starting in verse 2 says devote yourselves to prayer. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well. That God will open up to us a door for the word. So that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. For which I have also been in prison. That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. And we can pray that for ourselves. We can pray it, you can pray it for a spouse. You can pray it for children. You can pray it for your brothers and sisters in Christ within Faith Bible Church. God, open doors for us to talk about Jesus. Then open hearts. That's biblical. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse one says this. Finally, brethren, pray for us. That the word of the Lord will be spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. Open people's hearts so that the word of God will sink deep into their heart and people will put their faith in Jesus Christ. And finally, open my mouth. Open my brother or sister in Christ's mouth. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 18 through 20. It's a biblical prayer. With all prayer and petition. Pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. For all the saints. And pray on my behalf. That my utterance may be given to me. In the opening of my mouth. To make known with boldness. The mystery of the gospel. 
for which I am an ambassador, ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Threefold prayer. So one of our responses can be to actually pray for people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, 1 Timothy 2. And then we can pray for ourselves, we can pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ to open doors, to open hearts, and to open mouths. Jesus gives us a response here, an actual prayer that we can be praying. Here it is, verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I'm convinced of this. God is going to bring in his harvest. Here's the question. Am I going to be part of what God is doing? Is Faith Bible Church going to be a part of what God is doing? In the fall of 1980, many of you weren't born in the fall of 1980. But in the fall of 1980, I went roller skating. It's the last time. The last time I've done it. The reason why I went roller skating is there was this cute girl on campus named Barbara who asked me to go with her. Because that weekend on our college campus, it was like a reverse weekend where the girls ask out the guys. And there's no way I'm going to turn that down even though I don't know how to roller skate. And it was pitiful. I basically had to hang on to her and fell multiple times. It was outside at this park west of Omaha. And it it was just brutal scene. It was heartbreaking to find out about 30 years later that she was just trying to fill a slot for that evening when she asked me. I always thought she had this little, like this little burning candle for me. Not at all. She said, I was just trying to fill a slot. You know, I never learned to roller skate. And when I grew up in the 1960s, roller skating was the biggest thing ever. Whenever a kid would have a birthday party, it'd be at the roller rink. And our church would go to the roller rink. And all I would do is sit off to the side and my dad would buy me a box of milk duds and an orange soda. And so everybody else would roller skate, milk duds, in an orange soda. Don't really care for milk duds anymore, but I still like orange soda. I never, ever, in a sense, got into the game. And everybody else had the enjoyment of all of what that entailed, but I just stayed off to the side with my milk duds and my orange crush. And the question for me And the question for all of us as a church needs to continually be, am I going to share in the joy of what God is doing? I can't think of anything that brings me greater joy than being a part 
of someone coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. When I went to the Billy Graham School of Evangelism several years ago, they at that time they said the average person hears the good news proclaimed 19 times before they put their faith in Jesus. There's not one person that comes to faith in Jesus probably just simply by one person's being instrumental in their life. Usually it's a lot of things that are instrumental in that person's life. The question is, do I want to be part of it? Do I want to be part of what God is doing in people's lives? How do I begin? Jesus tells us to pray. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Every week, Thursday mornings from 8 to 9, several of us pastors in our community gather together. And all that we do is is Bible-based praying. Meaning we don't share prayer requests. We open up a passage of scripture and we pray through that scripture. And almost every week, part of our praying is this prayer. That Jesus would send out more workers into the harvest field. And I pray and raise me up so that I will go into your harvest field. And we pray for Faith Bible Church. And we pray for other Bible-believing churches here in town. We pray for New Covenant. We pray for Maranatha. We pray for Cedar Valley for Veritas, for Stonebridge, for Cornerstone. And I, I know I've left some out, but we pray for other churches here in our city that they too would be raised up by God as workers in his harvest field. Because ultimately, it comes down to this. God's going to do his work in people's lives. Do I want to be part of it? And the other thing that we can pray for ourselves, besides praying, God, raise up workers and open a door, open hearts, open my mouth. The other thing that we can pray right out of these verses is clear back up in verse 36 when it says, seeing the people he felt compassion. And we can simply say, God, help me see people as you see them. Before Barbara and I moved back to, back to Iowa to Cedar Rapids, we lived in a small town up in North Dakota. And one evening we had some friends with us from out of town and we ordered a pizza. And for some reason the pizza came really late. And our friends kind of tore into the pizza delivery guy. And after he left and they closed the door, I kind of said, you know, we live here. This is a little town. Everybody knows everybody. We can't like tear into the pizza delivery guy. And uh, what happens is, and it happens with me, it probably happens with you. We compartmentalize people. And instead of viewing people as Jesus views them, as people who deserve our compassion, who are lost without a shepherd... We compartmentalize them and sometimes we compartmentalize them into what they do. Oh, that's the delivery guy or that's this person or that person. Or we compartmentalize them across socioeconomic lines or we compartmentalize them 
uh, in a variety of ways. And when we compartmentalize people, we actually don't see them. And one of the things that we can pray for ourselves and for our spouse and our children and for our brothers and sisters in Christ here within our church family, help us see people as you see them, Jesus. Well, as Jesus has shared his heart, we come to chapter 10. And we actually see Jesus sending out workers into his harvest field. And this is kind of a a shift in Jesus' ministry. Up to this point, Jesus has been doing the ministry under the empowerment of the Spirit of God. But now, he charges the twelve. And we see Jesus sent out the twelve apostles by delegating messianic authority to them. By that, he appropriates to them some of the enablement that he has by the Spirit of God to do his work. So just as Jesus has been preaching and teaching and healing and raising people from the dead and casting out demons, he authorizes the 12 to go and do the same as his representative. And we find here Jesus Calling the twelve to himself. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 10. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. To cast them out. To heal every kind of disease. And every kind of sickness. He authorized them. Think about the confidence they would have. To have Jesus be the one. Who has delegated his authority to them. Now. Here in Matthew, this is not a record of Jesus' initial call to these 12 guys. That's already happened. We know that from the other gospel writers as well. But this is the first time that Matthew records for us that Jesus commissions these 12 into ministry. And this is the only time that Matthew calls them apostles, sent ones. So in a sense, we have Jesus' official commissioning of them to go out and to minister with his authority into a lost world. I want to make a few comments about the apostles themselves here in verses 2 through 4. All of the gospel, all of the synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have a list, but the list varies somewhat, but there's some commonalities. For example, Peter is always listed first. Notice here it says, the first Simon who is called Peter. The word first there does not mean that Peter was the first one called, because he wasn't. We know that from the Gospel of John. It also doesn't mean that he's first of the list. That'd be kind of redundant. The first of the list is Peter. Most likely the word the first there means that Peter held a position of preeminence amongst the apostles. Also common to all of the lists is the last name, Judas. Here it says, the one who betrayed him. He's always last in the list. It's interesting to see how Matthew records his own name. He calls himself Matthew the tax collector. Remember, that's not popular. And I think it's a testimony of Matthew's heart and his humbleness that he remembers who he was and what he was doing 
when Jesus touched his life and called him to be his follower. One of the most interesting things to me is this guy down here in verse 3 named James, the son of Alphaeus. You know what's interesting about that? We know nothing about him. In fact, James, the son of Alphaeus, is only mentioned in lists of apostles. That's it. It's almost like he's the 12th guy on the team. And he's on the roster. And they're at state basketball. And you think he's looking him down there. and hey, Coach, can I just get in a little bit so there can be something in the record about me? All we know is his name. And you know what I think that's important? I think that's purposeful because by and far, most of us serve in anonymity. We serve in obscurity. And that's by God's design. That God gave James, the son of Alphaeus, a very high calling. He's one of the 12 apostles. He just chose to not give him high visibility. What an encouragement to, to all of us in this room. That God has given us each a high calling. To be part of what he's doing in the lives of people. But we don't need to be noticed. We don't need to have our name out in the forefront. Just like James the son of Alphaeus. Had a high calling. Think about these 12. The authority that Jesus has given them. The confidence that they must have. Our youngest son. Started playing a high level. Of competitive basketball. In the 8th grade. And I can remember as an 8th grade kid. Us putting him onto a bus. And him traveling to New York State. Hard to believe we did it. But he loved the game of basketball. and Traveled all over the country with his uh, AAU team playing the game. In his early middle school years, he went through a phase where whenever he played well, he attributed his good play to something that he wore. So for a while he had his lucky basketball shorts and he'd always wear the same pair of shorts. For a while he had his lucky shirt that he would cut off the sleeves and wear underneath his jersey. He even had some lucky boxers for a while. But my favorite was the stage that he went through when he had to have his lucky cheeseburger. One game, we had we went through a fast food line and got the kid a cheeseburger, and he played great afterwards. And so from that time forward, for quite a while, he had to have his lucky cheeseburger before he played. It gave him confidence. In my opinion, he could have ridden that a little longer than he did, but it seemed like a great idea to me. But his lucky cheeseburger gave him confidence. You know why the vast majority of us struggle to, in a sense, get in the game following after Jesus' heart for people? It's because we lack confidence. We lack confidence. 
We're going to talk about that next week. That it's not us. That our confidence rests in the person of Jesus Christ and his word. And we're going to see that it's actually the spirit of God is the one who does the work in people's lives. It's not you and it's not me. And because it's the spirit of God who takes the word of God and impresses it on hearts and lives. Because of that truth, we can have confidence in talking with people about who Jesus is. And the difference that Jesus has made in our life. The apostles had great confidence under the authority vested in them. And we too have reason for confidence. Because we're not the ones doing the work. It's the spirit of God. Using the word of God. In the hearts and lives of men and women. And boys and girls. Where do we begin? What if you are like me. And have spent way too much of my life on the sidelines. Eating milk duds. Spiritual milk duds maybe. We begin by praying. And Jesus calls us to earnestly pray. To the Lord to send out more workers into his harvest. And I would encourage us as a church family. To include in that prayer. Send me as well. You may be here today and you're not sure if you are right with God or not. Right after the service, one of our leaders, one of our elders here at Faith Bible Church will be back in our prayer room. And then we have some little booklets back there. You can just go back and say, hey, can I have one of those books that Pastor Steve talked about? Or maybe you want one for a friend that you'd like to give to a friend. They're right back in the prayer room. And the first chapter in that book is great. You can just take out your copy of the Bible. Look up passages of scripture that show how you can know for sure you're right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're here today and you want to go back. Maybe write some names down on that wall of people that you know who need Jesus. Or you want to go back and pray Just please avail yourself of the prayer room directly behind us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus' heart and your heart. As demonstrated in Ezekiel 34 and Matthew 9. That you are a God who has a heart for lost people. And we pray that you'd give us that same heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.